happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 279 on January 4th, 2023. Welcome to our first show of the new year. My name is Dr. Jason Neifer. I am the Executive Director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School, located on the beautiful University of Montana campus right here in Missoula, Montana. Um, and I am joined tonight, as always, uh, by Dr. Wes Fryer. Good evening, Dr. Fryer. How are you tonight, kind sir? Well, you know, I'm wearing shorts and a T-shirt because it was 65 degrees today after school and just uh, a bit different from the climate that we had a couple couple weeks ago. But I'm doing well. I finished up my first semester uh, teaching middle school at Providence State passed. School. It did. It did indeed. And we start our new semester tomorrow. We had two two days, which really I got to see um, everybody yesterday and half my half my students today. But we start a new semester next. Uh, well, tomorrow. Uh, so I'll be picking up an engineering design course, and um, also still continuing to teach robotics and media literacy. So we are going to talk about some uh, technology news, and I'm excited that we're here on Wednesday, Jason. I appreciate your flexibility and adjusting to, to schedules and uh, the various and sundry things that have been happening in our lives the past, uh, really, you know, a couple months, I guess. So where would you like to begin tonight, sir? Well, uh, let's see. Our topics tonight are some AI news, which unfortunately is taking up more of my brain than I care to say. I think uh, the AI news is the new tech correction, perhaps. Yeah, it, it kind of is, although we have some tech correction articles tonight, too. Uh, some Google stuff, a couple Apple updates, the tech correction slash social media, because I feel like that's kind of where um, the tech correction is, is, is aiming its sights right now. Um, some future-looking stuff, uh, CES this week in lovely Las Vegas, Nevada, and there's already kind of interesting, crazy stuff coming out of CES, as there usually is. Um, a special category tonight called Mobile Phones Can Get You Into Trouble, which uh, there's a variety of reasons why that's the case. Uh, some miscellaneous, and then we'll end tonight's uh, delights with, with the geeks of the week. And um, Wes, I guess I'm just going to go ahead and say, why don't we go ahead and start with AI and I can ramble on for a while about all the exciting things going on. Um, I would just start by saying that, um, uh, uh, this is, it may not be happy as fast as I think it is, but this evolution's happening very quickly and I'm starting to widen the circle, I've been having a lot of conversations with trusted advisors and friends like Dr. Fryer. Um, I've been talking to a, a handful of teachers as well and a lot of other state virtual school administrators. And as it turns out, I also have started widening the circle to talk to family and friends more. And, um, you know, while it's, it's, there's a lot to come, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, uh, especially those not in education are, you know, immediately turning to that this makes homework seem a, a lot less sensical in a world where AI exists. And you know, we've talked a couple of times about uh, the, the challenges of, you know, maybe jumping too quickly to a conclusion about, wh you know, where things go next. The, the article from, I think it was the Atlantic last month, was the end of English class, which I don't think chat GPT and other AI technologies are the end of English class by any stretch of the imagination. The, but, the essay, the essay is dead, was also a headline. Yeah, me. another headline, right? We've got another one tonight about uh, the focus on handwriting, 
uh, as a as an alternative. And I kind of want to talk about that article for a couple minutes too because it's it's a little ridiculous. But um, one of the things that I've been exper- experimenting with um, uh, has been you know kind of researching other ways to use ChatGPT because to be honest, uh, up until just a couple of days ago, my own experiments in uh, ChatGBT were, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, pretty surface level. And if you start to write a little more deeply, um, or, or, or I'm sorry, start to research a little more deeply into things, um, what you find out is that it's actually uh, uh, way more functional than it even appears as kind of a search engine style tool, right? And I think that's one of the problems that um, uh, some people that think this is not a big deal may not understand um, um, that it's not just challenging search engines. It's providing a lot more than that in that it, it's, it can't just, it's not just simply about answering questions. So one of the things I shared today um, on, on the show notes, you can get those at edtechsr.com slash links uh, to go to our show notes. It's to a tweet actually. And there's a guy named Rob Lennon, who is a, um, I, I don't know how to put him or to describe him other than, um, he's a, he's an internet guy, right? He, he says his expertise is in, um, audience building and AI powered writing systems. And, um, you know, he advertises that he grew from zero to 50 K followers in six months, retained my authenticity. But, um, uh, he said that, you know, everyone's now, uh, quoting the tweet, everyone's using chat GPT, but almost everyone's stuck in beginner mode. Here are 10 techniques to get massively ahead with AI and copy and paste these prompts. And I'll just give you a couple of examples that I think is, is, is pretty interesting. Um, simulate an expert, ask chat GPT to pay the part of a customer, a co-host or a talented expert. Um, have a conversation with it or ask it to generate content as if for that specific persona. So the example he utilizes here um, is uh, ask chat GPT, or I'm sorry, example prompt. You are a talented analyst at a top tier marketing research firm, a graduate of Harvard Business School. Coach me to create content that connects with C-level executives at, at uh, business to business SaaS companies um, and SaaS is software as a solution. Um, what open-ended questions do I ask? Prioritize uncommon expert advice. And as it turns out, um, ChatGPT can do it precisely that. If you type uh, 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 that prompt in, um, it will do exactly what you're asking for it to. Um, um, and in this particular case, um, here are a few open-ended questions you should consider asking. Um and it created a list of, of questions. And so um, that's one example. Another example is uh, you write a topic. So in this case, the topic is growing your email newsletter. For the above topic, give examples that contradict the dominant narrative, generate an outline for thought-provoking content that challenges assumptions. And, you know, you start to add in adjectives into things and it gets really interesting. And, and I'll give you some examples from, from uh, chat GPT that I've been utilizing in the last 24 hours. Um, I, uh, 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 run a, 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 or I'm, I'm, I'm an executive director that, that reports to a board. The board's a public board. So we have open meetings and I will be evaluated next week for the first time by that board. And so we have to be mindful of open, uh, uh, meeting laws. And it's likely that my evaluation will be considered a private matter. And so the chair will put into executive, 
um, or into an executive session to do precisely that, which is very common with school superintendents and school boards across the United States. But um, I literally had it, uh, you know, write a clarification for when you can close an open meeting. Then I asked it to do it with Montana in mind, and it wrote me a pretty good four-paragraph justification for with Montana laws cited. And then I said, write a sarcastic uh, 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 justification for open meetings. Um, and as it turns out, um, it did a pretty effective job of doing exactly that. It um, wrote um, uh, uh, a justification that added in quite a bit of snark. And uh, it's just insane, right? Like, I, I – and again, we're just getting started on this. Um, you know, brainstorming and uh, – um, uh, here you go. Uh, analyze the fall, you know, uh, analyze the text below for style, voice, and tone, um, uh, with your own writing. Um, you can, uh, copy and paste a New York Times article in and ask for a summary. You can, uh, copy and paste a New York Times in and say, write this in more simplistic English. Um, I, uh, had it, uh, uh, um, well, I mean, remember back in the day, uh, Dr. Fryer, when cliff notes were, 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 you know, such a scandalous thing. And then there were spark notes that were on the internet and they became a brand name. Well, you can ask chat GPT basically to write you whatever summary you want to of any book it has access to. And, um, I, not only today did I have it write chapter summaries for me for, uh, chapters of, um, a tale of two cities, uh, it also wrote chapter summaries for me for a Daniel Pink book that I put in, uh, the, the, the first chapter of a Daniel Pink book. Uh, Daniel Willingham, who I've mentioned a couple of times on the show, who's a cognitive scientist, has a great book called Why Don't Students Like School? And I had it write me a summary of chapter one of that book, and it wrote a two-paragraph summary that was pretty darn accurate. And so um, it's, it's, it's really intense. Um, and it can also do things like take on personas. Um, and so that's the other link that I'm sharing today is actually a GitHub page that are, that's called Awesome Chat GPT Prompts. And it essentially um, gives you prompts that you can type in uh, or mimic into your um, uh, chat GBT window. And it does uh, a pretty interesting stuff. Uh, a couple of examples here. Um, I want you, so you could say that uh, to, to chat GBT, I want you to act as an advertiser. You will create a campaign to promote a product or service of your choice you will choose a target audience, develop key messages and slogans, select media channels for promotion, and decide on any additional activities to reach your goal. My first suggestion request is that I need help create an advertising campaign for a new type of energy drink targeting young adults um, uh, age eight or 18 to 30. And um, it's just absolutely intense that a how this process works out. So now, why uh, why is that on GitHub? Does it generate these as a program? You install that with Python, or what is that? It doesn't. A lot of people, uh, especially techie and programmer types, uh, uh, put things on GitHub, kind of like it's a, a place to dump uh, information, um, like a blog, like a blog post. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So okay. Yeah, I, I don't even know. I, I, yeah. So uh, lots of interesting things there. I would really encourage you to check out these two links, but there's a couple of, of, of quick articles that I want to mention because they, they have impacted um, 
kind of my my stuff this week. The first one is a make use of article from the second of January, and um, uh, it, it highlighted a problem that I think is pretty interesting, which is um, scammers, uh, uh, people that are looking to to steal things from you, phone scammers, email scammers. Um, machine learning may make it possible to create English. Uh, uh, based emails that sound way more authentic than sometimes the ones that we've been getting away with. Um, and I think there's a lot of, uh, um, uh, uh, there's a lot of obvious use here, but one of the strategies, um, um, sorry, my phone rang and now I'm just messaging someone back. We we need we need we need to grapple more with with spam not only in email but you know in text messages in in uh, tweets and replies so yes the 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 improvement of spam and the the proliferation of more of it is just gonna is gonna be joyous news for 2023 and well and David Rutland the article of the make use or the the make use of article I mean you know tested out several prompts write a letter to Mr Bates telling him he's won a prize. That he needs to provide his bank details to receive it. Um, um, uh, the prize is a Caribbean cruise. We also need passport details from Mr. Bates. Mr. Bates doesn't trust people. So he gave him those three pieces of information um, and, um, um, uh, you know, it wrote up a pretty decent letter. And I just, again, I don't think the limits are even close to known here because there are so many extraordinary things that you can do um, with this. And I would also make another example of this. Um, the world language instruction has taken a really uh, uh, hard turn since automated translation has been available. And it's an issue in an online environment. It's also an issue in face-to-face classrooms as well, although not quite as significant. But one of the things I don't know, um, based on uh, uh, having not uh, uh, connected with a lot of world language teachers yet about this, is that you know, when I read what ChatGPT creates in English, right, um, the uh, it, it sounds like legitimate, you know, adult written English to me, right? Uh, whereas translated uh, uh, language sometimes really doesn't sound anything like the um, uh, uh, anything like the uh, uh, the natural language, right? Because translation has has a lot of limitations. I could see an example where. Yeah, this creates all new uh, uh, issues with trying to figure out, uh, you know, what is legitimately student work and what's not. And, you know, I, I get it why a lot of people are kind of pulling on the, the string that, well, it just means we need to make education, you know, more about products and we need to make education more about, uh, uh, you know, high level knowledge and not low level, level knowledge. I think that argument's blown away by ChatGPT and not that, there isn't things we could do to improve the way we teach students in regards to that. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, what we know from cognitive science is that the process of learning, the process of engaging with content is how you grow your brain, right? It's, it's how you become smarter. It's how you become more functional. And if artificial intelligence is taking that over, I don't think it's good enough just to say that, um, um, uh, that, uh, well, we just need to make education, you know, more interactive or teach kids how to use these tools. That's all true, but it's just not the crux of, of the situation here. So, um, and, and Wes, I'll mention one other quick article here. Um, and I, I want to say that actually, um, 
uh, I may have stole this article from you um, on on um, Mastodon, but someone was was uh, pushing around a, uh, a Washington Post article from um, a writer named uh, Markham Heed about you know the the one of the ways to deal with this is to move to handwriting uh, handwriting essays and then and I know this will get your goad uh Wes then he starts talking about some of the research about how much handwriting's a good thing and um I tend to lean towards the I think handwriting notes has some utility from a learning standpoint but I don't want to get in that debate but it's like that's not the answer to this question um and it's not it's not going to prevent uh, uh, use of these tools. And in fact, probably deny students the opportunity to learn better how to use these tools. Um, that's a compliance-based uh, solution and not one that's about kind of evolving our education. And you know, the reason why I laughed about this particular article is because um, Mr. Heed, uh, his, his uh, bio on the, the article says that, that uh, uh, Heed writes about health and science for medium and, and medium isn't a publication mediums a platform it's like saying he writes for wordpress well exactly right i write for wordpress or i'm a um you know i i i publish videos for youtube right that's not the way it works i found this on google exactly right so yeah a lot of interesting things going on and i've been blabbing on quite a bit here wes any thoughts about ai and 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 where things are going here i do but you're on a roll can you go ahead and do the TechCrunch article also about china's uh parallel generative ai universe? yeah i um well i mean it, it is it is true that there is a lot of uh, well, universe is happening right now. The, the idea of a worldwide internet has been dramatically challenged in the last five or six years. And there's some point at which um, there's actually a ton of of kind of like regional internets that are starting to pop up. Russia has its own in a lot of ways. China has its own in a lot of ways. And for those of you um, uh, uh, that watch Silicon Valley on HBO still one of the, the funniest uh, sitcoms about technology of all time. Um, you may remember from that show that Jing Yang um, uh, uh, was trying to create uh, Chinese versions of popular American platforms, uh, or I should maybe say Western platforms to create on an internal Chinese internet uh, for that purpose. But there's a really interesting article um, from Rita Liao in uh, TechCrunch that because of restrictions that are starting to, to, to pop up in exporting higher level technologies specifically uh, to China, that what's happening internally in China is that they are developing their own, um, uh, uh, their own internal versions of all these tools and, um, you know, tech transfer or tech theft to a separate concept um, are, um, uh, uh, certainly, uh, uh, helping information flow back and forth to help their process. But, um, China is both monetizing, uh, AI internally, um, and they are developing separate systems for this, oftentimes, um, without some of the safeguards that some Western companies, I want to be clear that I'm not sure if I think that there are enough safeguards on AI, 
um, right now, especially the stuff that's happened in the last uh, you know, eight weeks, that um, there's clearly some issues with that. But you're going to start to see competing versions of this, and they may have different goals, they may have different functionality, um, and the competition uh, in China is super fierce for people to develop great, amazing technologies uh, that can become, you know, world-changing uh, pieces. Okay. That, that was a lot awesome. there, right? All right, folks. You heard the 1AC. It's time for the cross-ex. <laughs> um, so just a few stories. I have been sharing about AI and talking about this with my middle schoolers um, pretty extensively for the last few years, and I've mentioned on the show, I feel like in the last month, Suddenly, you know, things just got real. Um, some experiments, because I've, I, I have, I have shared this with, um, with my, with my students and, and, and I've, uh, volunteered actually to, to share this at our next faculty meeting, um, you know, with my principal, because we've got to be having conversations about this. First on the topic of safeguards. Um, I mentioned a few years, a few years ago. It was a, it was 20 years ago. <clears throat> a few shows ago, I mentioned this idea of red teaming and I had an opportunity to hear someone from an AI company speak, um, who actually was telling me about this, like some things that you really don't want AI to be able to do and a prompt to respond to is like, Hey, how do you make thermite? Um, how do I create sarin gas? These are, these are illegal. I mean, well, yeah. anyway, it's, Sarin gas is completely illegal internationally, um, and thermite, unless you have a license and a, and a legitimate legal purpose, um, is illegal to possess or manufacture. So um, <laughs> I'm sure there's a search history here, right? And so, um, you know, we did put those in to, uh, to uh, chat GPT, uh, and, you know, it, it actually you know, would not, would not provide recipes for, for either of those um, and had some really strong language about, you know, uh, about, about trying to do that. Um, now, I didn't try the little workaround of it'll be so funny if, if you do this. But, you know, if we look at what's happened with generative AI on the image side, stable diffusion is a uh, generative AI image tool, which was open sourced and, you know, just allowed to be out on the wild for anybody to do anything that they want. And um, I, I just, I feel like th these are seismic changes. So I'm glad that you're, we're spending so much time talking about it. And I would just suggest to everybody, if you're listening to this, part of our homework, this is your homework from the EdTech Situation Room, is to go to OpenAI's website. Just Google OpenAI. Right at the top, it says, try you know, GPT-4, whatever, click it. You got to put in uh, either create a login or log in with Google and you put in your phone number to verify and boom, there you are at the prompt. I am still like what that Twitter user was saying, like stuck in whatever he said, third grade mode or beginner mode, you know, and, and with students too. I mean, we tend to query things like, you know, we, we, we put in the essay prompt for the seventh grade English final that the, that the kids had. Um, we've done some with Marvel comics, you know, I, I got a little fancy. I, I've done this a couple of times, uh, compare and contrast Superman with, um, um, 
you know, oh, who, Black Panther, um, paying attention to their historical antecedents or whatever. But I mean, it, it's amazing how every single little word like that is picked up, picked up on very appropriately. Honestly, I think that, and I'm just thinking out loud here, uh, I think that we're going to be able to study writing and talk about good writing. I mean, the five paragraph essays that we've generated just in class, like this week, since we've been back the last two days, I mean, they're really good. They're strong. They have uh, the introduction is, is really positive. There's three main points. There's a nice summary that ties it back to the introduction, you know, but, um, gives some additional analysis, just like you'd like a conclusion to do in a, in an essay. So I, um, I, I, I absolutely think that not only should we be talking about this with colleagues, I, th- I would challenge, I'm going to, you know, I appreciate you sharing that, that tweet. Um, Cause I think I, I saw that actually in, in your Twitter stream or, or it could have been on Mastodon, but I think it was on Twitter. Um, Cause that was where it originally was from. I think we ought to try to do that, to elevate uh, with creativity because there are going to be uh, phenomenal things that we're going to be able to do with this. And, it's like it's an intersection of technology, imagination and creativity, because like, um, you know, storytelling, you know, come, come, coming up with uh, with creative ideas. Most of my kids had never heard of Turnitin.com. And in explaining this to them, I, I shared that my previous school in, in the high school in the English department, they had a subscription to turnitin.com. And that meant that every essay that was written by students would be checked. And if, if anybody had copied or pasted a, a sentence, a paragraph from a website, it would show immediately where it is, where it came from. I said, this text, as far as we know, is not scraped off the web. This is being written by an artificial intelligence entity, which if you think about it is really a consciousness. That's why, and this is incredible because we're having this global experiment now where all kinds of creative human minds are testing this and putting it through its paces to see what can it do. And, you know, we're still at a very basic beginner level where we're like, oh my gosh, it wrote a compare and contrast essay between two Marvel comic you know, characters. Isn't that incredible? But, but yeah, that's, that is just like, you know, ask, asking it its name or, or, you know, giving, giving us the weather, uh, the temperature today or something. It's just so basic that, and it's capable of of so much more. So I really appreciate you digging into those articles and aren't you, uh, maintaining a wakelet by the way, are you, are all these on your wakelet that you're doing? Most of them are. Yeah. I am maintaining a wakelet, uh, that's pinned to the top of my Twitter, uh, and Mastodon account for that matter. And, one of the things that that I, I mean, it's changing very fast, and I also think too the last article I would have mentioned tonight uh, that you know we've mentioned a couple of different times, but a decoder reported on December twenty sixth, twenty twenty two, that you think this is interesting. Wait till GPT four, um, which uh, 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 people are calling a monster release, and to be honest. I, considering that, you know, I, I can't stop typing things into, um, <laughs> stop typing things into, uh, uh, version 3.5, if 4 is that much of a, um, um, uh, of a, of an addition, I, I, I can't even imagine what it does. Well, I'll remind everybody, and I, I, I you probably need to write this blog post, but, <clears throat> the, the, the employee, the high level employee of OpenAI, who we heard talk, no, in November, I think it might have been October. I think it was November, you know, is working with people at OpenAI who know more about this than 
you know, who know as much about this as anyone on the planet think that artificial general intelligence, the, the capacity of the human brain replicated with a computer, with, with a neural network is going to happen in 18 months. Yep. Um, this gentleman said, said he believed it was more like five years, but n- none of those people. And of course that's, this, you got to think about where they work and what they're doing, you know, but nobody's saying, well, we're not sure if this is going to happen. So, yeah. I will well, the and the estimates your... that AI has been, uh, or the estimates that, that, that AI was going to impact education have been going for 15 years now, right? Yeah. But it, it, nothing, nothing will be in comparison what the next couple of months look like in regards to, to, you know, fighting these tools may not be the right metaphor per se, because obviously... Um, you know, Wes and I are encouraging you to look at this a little differently and 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 put some thought into how you explore these with students. But it's going to be a bumpy couple months, I think, as we you know, because I think this just calls in an uh, an awful lot of things into question. Um, and I would also add too that uh, I I haven't talked about this uh, uh, very openly yet, but I was thinking about over the weekend that. Um, you want to make things, or you, you you want to make intelligent personal assistance, which was the topic of my doctoral dissertation. If you want to make a, a artificial, or I'm sorry, intelligent personal assistance that much better, we're talking about Siri um, uh, and Alexa. Uh, I'm sorry for saying Madam A's name. Um, uh, cancel, 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 Madam A, um, or the the Google Assistant. If you want those to be awesome, hook them up with AI. Right, like that—that that is so much different than than what's going on uh, in in that current land, where it's mostly just doing internet searches for results. They, I mean, I think they already have been connected to AI to the extent that machine learning and the speech to to text technology it, it does keep on getting better iteratively. The more data, you know, the more it's used, but the level of training that these these AIs have. Um, uh, and I've said it before, and maybe this is just a uh, unfortunate broken record for me now. But but this next level neural network, or or I guess network of nodes, supercomputer that OpenAI is going to build, you know, it's going to be completely air gapped from the public internet, you know, with a single kill switch. I mean, this is it. it it's um. It's, it's somewhat surreal. What, what's surreal is being in class with students and using the tools, right? Yeah. Being in Padlet and clicking the I can't draw and then seeing these images and then hearing about magical words that you could use and just knowing that we are only scratching the surface. This is the worst version of this we're going to ever see. So... Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, the least functional version of this is available right now. Um, yeah. Uh, that, yeah, oof. What, what we're seeing is essentially crap. <laughs> yep. It's going to get a lot more interesting before it uh, 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 starts to step back. Oh. Okay. Okay, Dr. Fryer, only 30 minutes uh, down the AI rabbit hole today. Uh, do you have a topic you'd like to talk about? That was very good. That was very good. Okay, well, I'm going to do my quick mobile phones can get you in trouble, and then I want to jump up to, to what I put under China. Great. So a friend of mine in my men's group back in Oklahoma uh, happened to work for uh, a defense contractor, and when Osama bin Laden was killed, 
um, he talked about how important cell phone signals were for drone strikes and other kinds of military operations um, in the Middle East. Two different articles that I've read in the last couple days about cell phones and how important cell phone tracking is. Um, the, the second link I labeled U.S. DOJ for Department of Justice, United States versus Greenwood and Crahan. One of the things that I am just tracking because of personal interest are the power grid attacks that have um, happened here in North Carolina in early December. And we've had a couple happen in the Pacific Northwest in the state of Washington. Um, also, there's been some in California. So this is a court brief that was just released um, and the case is called United States versus Greenwood and Crahan. Uh, this was for the Christmas Day attack in Pierce County within the Western District of Washington. These two individuals um, did over $3 million of damage to four different power stations. Um, and if you read the entire thing, it's kind of weird because they end up saying, well, the motive was suspected motive was burglary because because the power going out they were able to get into a cash register at a location and steal i don't know a few thousand dollars or a few hundred dollars or something but if you read in this it's absolutely fascinating because they were able to establish the cell phones who owned that cell phone then the gmail account which was attached to that account and therefore the likely identity of the person who was using it because that cell phone was at those four different power station locations i mean i am not a digital forensics guy i'm not in law enforcement um but I think that from a media literacy and a digital citizenship and just a citizenship standpoint, it's important to realize how vital cell phones are for law enforcement. And I'm not trying to say like, oh, we need to be turning our phones off or something. But this, the technology which we are all interacting with more than anything else today is our cell phone, yeah. you know, and, and I guess the Internet and, and the things that all run on it. But I'm not quite sure there's this big of a realization of, oh, my gosh, what a big deal this is. And, of course, there's, you know, students that we have in class that will probably work either on the law enforcement, homeland security side or the military side and, you know, utilize those those technologies. It's really interesting that I know it was a few years ago. I think we even talked about maybe the black phone. There was some kind of a phone that people were trying to develop that wouldn't be subject to as much tracking and things like that. But basically that's, it's not possible. And, and there's cell phone triangulation as well as GPS and all this. Okay. So second article under this tile uh, topic was from the BBC today on January 4th. And it's titled, I don't know why it says this, Makivaka, Russia blames missile attack on soldiers, mobile phone use. Now it's very unusual for Russia to admit to anything being a problem. And if you read this article, it'll say this isn't a big headline right now in Russian news, but internationally outside Russia, the Kremlin has, well, basically instead of blaming the leaders that put thousands apparently of new recruits of these 300,000 that, that Putin has conscripted into a single location on New Year's Eve, uh, they're going to just blame the soldiers uh, who use their cell phones. But cell phones are completely banned in the Russian military. And why? Well, because governments that are friendly to Ukraine, like maybe the United States, have incredible signals intelligence capability to be able to hone in on signals 
And there was like a lot of cell phone signals coming from this area. And I think that Russia is admitting to like 89 soldiers killed, but there's probably a lot more. Anyway, two dramatic articles that I've read recently that point to just how um, how important from a law enforcement and a, a military targeting standpoint cell phones are. And I think that's... Some, somebody in, in Macedon, there was a good conversation around the Washington State um, power grid you know, situation in that article. You know, when someone was saying, well, shh, don't, don't, tell, don't, you know, don't tell these people because we, you know, we don't want the criminals to, to recognize that. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that is what immediate applicability that has to our lives. But in the spirit of understanding the technologies that we are all swimming in and, and using every day, those were just two things that I've read recently that were kind of an aha. Because I knew that, but it's like, yeah, that, that's a big deal. So any thoughts there? Yeah, well, I'd heard that uh, – I can't remember where I heard this. It was either NPR or maybe Keith Oberman's uh, new show, but um, – or no, maybe on TikTok too. But um, some of the uh, – the, the other uh, – one of the other factors in – that's being investigated in regards to that attack of the, the Russian uh, barracks is that um, some people posted social media that very clearly had a um, – uh, had uh, like location information on it, like it was really recognizable information to where you could see it from the Google map image, um, which is a huge deal. But also um, uh, one thing to remember in regards to privacy in your cell phone is that if you're taking photos with your cell phone, there's a good chance, especially if you haven't you distinctly uh, told it not to, that it's adding a geolocation code to those photos and you start texting around photos um, uh, uh, a lot of, of, of services strip geotagging off of, like if you post an image to Reddit, for example, I've actually tested this in the past and it's, it, it seems to strip the geo information off of there so that you, you, you have to be ever so slightly less careful. But the bottom line is, um, that, uh, your phones do an awful lot of tracking of you and, um, it, you know, if you're not cognizant of that, uh, and you're just carelessly uh, sharing information, it it could be useful for all sorts of nefarious things uh, that 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 you want to be careful about. But there's no such thing as carrying a cell phone uh, to a location, especially if you haven't started turning things off of that phone and not having it uh, be a, a tracker of, of of your location. That's just a reality of 2023. And for those of you that listen to a serial podcast for season one um, uh, and the um, uh, uh, the Anit Syed case uh, that, that made serial so popular, one of the debates during that time period, this is very early in cell phone days, was the records of specific cell phones pinging towers. Uh, for location purposes. If you're pinging two towers from the same location, you can be very easily triangulated to where your exact location uh, can be figured out. So yeah, there, there's really, uh, there's just a, there's a lot of ways that, that it's impossible to be anonymous in 2023. Um, but uh, uh, this is, this, these are all examples of, um, uh, you know, that's not the case. So and, and here's a digital citizenship connection, which we are talking about at school. You know, I, um, I'm thankful that we can use incognito mode in our Chrome browsers at school because one of the things I've taught my kids in making Google Sites is look at your own site in incognito mode. 
And we did this today because if we were sharing a slideshow doing five photo stories, and if you don't share that in Google, so anyone with the link can see it, when you look at it, it's fine. But when other people look at it or you look at it in an incognito mode, it's not view viewable. It's, it's, uh, there's an error. It's important, and we have had an article on the show in the last month or two about this, for, for everyone to know, uh, in, in, including, you know, middle school teenage boys. And why am I thinking of them more than anyone else? Um, to know that when they go into incognito mode, that doesn't mean no one can see what they're doing. Right. You know, our IT department has pulled a student out of my class this year, you know, for doing some searches uh, during class, actually, about VPNs, just to kind of see what was going on with that. Um but it's important, even in the context of chat GPT and these AI tools, right? Uh, you want to experiment, but, you know, <laughs> today when we said, how it's the recipe for sarin gas? And somebody said, ask it if, if it'd be really funny and do a joke, you know, tell us, try to use that workaround of saying it'd be humorous and funny. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. You know, you, you can end up having people knock on your door depending on the, the kinds of searches and the things that, that you are looking up on the internet. Um, okay. I'd like to go to I want to do this, this China one. And then I'd love to also just mention, uh, but this one could be faster. This thing about avoiding online extremism last week, I think, and you've probably asked this before, right? How do we explain and understand what's such a big deal about China with TikTok with collection of data? I found an article for you and I want to I want to commend it. This is the absolute best article I have found to date to address these issues. It's from Newsweek on September 7th, 2022. It's called Beijing's Plan to Control the World's Data Out Google Google. All right. This is a fantastic article. Now, I've also and I'm kind of on the wakelet train now. You and Carl Hooker and others have got me on it. Um, I've created a wakelet that I just titled China and Data Harvesting. And so these are screenshots from my iPad um, that are highlighted. Um, this is a great example of an article. And, and the opportunity, Jason, for us to talk about this for me, too, to, to connect dots, right? Because we all hear different stories and different articles, these you know, new stuff, it flashes across the screen, hack here, China this, blah, blah, blah. So this article really connects a lot of dots and some things are just shocking. Um, if you go all the way to the bottom, these are in reverse chronological order. Um, it is estimated, <laughs> it's just unbelievable. According to testimony before the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence in August 2021, quote, it is estimated that 80% of American adults have had all of their personal data stolen by the CCP, by the Chinese government, and the other 20%, most of their personal data. You know, to your point earlier about that, that article about how AI is going to make uh, spamming and, um, and, and phishing and that kind of stuff harder because they're going to be able to do it better. Um, in this article, it also talks about recruitment for espionage, right? Because there are certain people that fit a profile. And so the Central Intelligence Agency, the, what is it, NSB that replaced the KGB, um, different, um, you know, intelligence agencies are going to, to try to find profiles of people who are having financial difficulties or whatever. And they're going to try to target their weak points and get them to be, at, to, to be spies. There, there are so many ways in which the data about us can be utilized by folks who not only want to advertise to us, but also want to shape our perceptions and, and really shape our reality. And that's why, like, I've written this a couple of times on social media. We're just living in a psyop. 
We're living in a psychological operation. And China had, but see, the thing is, it's not just China. Because what did, um, I would say our friend, but that would make some people angry. What did Edward Snowden tell the world about the United States and what we were doing uh, illegally in terms of hoovering up all, all of this data? So economic espionage, how much, did you know, Jason, that the F-35s, um, blueprints were completely hacked by China and they've built a fighter jet to those details. Wow. That's the F-35. Nope. And that plane, that plane is a, you know, multi, multi-billion dollar plane. Um, there's a quote in here. The internet has become the main battlefield for public opinion struggle. So I think this is in just my digesting and, and processing of all this, the real key. The Chinese government, it's no no uh, mystery, wants to control the narrative, not only that, that their people get to hear on the news and the information, that they, they would like to restrict it. The recent protests against zero COVID were actually interesting because they really revealed, you know, how much access folks in China have to the outside world because they were not they were not organizing their, their protest efforts and, and getting their information from Chinese sources. China wants to do the same thing internationally as well. And I, I mentioned to my kids this week, I think, about you just don't see very many Hollywood movies portraying China. Oh, we were talking about Top Gun Maverick and the country's not named, right, that they're you know doing this bombing run. Maybe it's Iran. But like the Chinese government actually expends considerable effort and, I, and money, I think, to try and make sure they're not, um, you know, portrayed in, in really – negative ways in, in, in Hollywood, you know, as far as public perception. So I think that this kind of, of collection of citizen data by China really, um, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's somewhat depressing because when you read this about just how much information they, they recount the one that the, they did with all of our security clearance data, because um, basically the U.S. Office of Personal Management hackers stole files on roughly 2 million former or retired federal employees and more than 2 million current ones. These dossiers include information on nearly all the background investigations of Americans who held top secret security clearances. Tufts China scholar Michael Beckley characterized this haul as, quote, the deepest, darkest secrets from American government works, including CIA operatives, including details on drug use, deaths, foreign travel, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It's just there's been there's so much of a hack. But I, I think I think it's important to try to understand. Um, and no, President Biden or, or you know, uh, the, you know, President Putin or, or President Xi, although I hesitate to even use the word president with their with their names, the leaders of these major nations have not come out and said, we are at all out war today with, you know, our with our adversary. But I, I think we absolutely are on the information front. We are absolutely at war. So when we see government officials saying things like we need to hurt TikTok because it's owned by ByteDance and it's a Chinese company, this helps me understand that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, and that also makes sense in context of keeping it out of government machines and pieces. But the other thing I would also say, though, is that um, data privacy laws and ones that, that force data to be located only on, uh, you know, only in the country, I think that 
uh, well, Europe is obviously leading the way here in regards to finding out ways to regulate tech, I think, in an effective way. But, you know, as we've talked about several times in context of several problems regarding technology, like our lack of regulation right now is problematic. We we want to also you know, acknowledge that the Internet probably would have developed as quickly if it had been heavily regulated in the 1990s. But we're not at that place anymore. Right. There's an extraordinary amount of infrastructure around the Internet. It's a proven concept. Uh, and 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 I, I don't think uh, uh, that even under an era of strong regulation would innovation really suffer all that much. But these tools are absolutely and fundamentally integrated into our lives. And that can mean a whole lot of good, but it can also mean a whole lot of ug if we're not thoughtful about how that process plays out. And, and the complicated last thing I'll say on this, the, the complicating factor there is while you have these national security concerns, you've got all our big tech companies that are absolutely profiting and benefiting from the fact that we have essentially zero privacy regulation and they can just do whatever they want. And so that, that um, when there has been a push nationally to try to have some privacy laws, you know, those corporations have, have pushed back very, very strongly. So uh, we're in a really, really difficult place. And um, anyway, maybe that article will help some other people understand uh, and put together some of, some of these pieces because it it is, it's complicated, and there's there's another article every day. It seems like that's that's about um, some of these issues, especially as they pertain to China and data privacy. Yeah, totally. Should we do some quick hits on some different articles, or do you want to do another deep dive into another topic? Or what's sure, um, let's do some quick hit stuff. Uh, lots of interesting things going on in the world. Uh, let's do a couple of quick uh, Apple articles. Uh, first, a great article on January first for make use of about the dangers of third party app stores, and I think 2023 might end up being the year that Apple opens up its architecture to other app stores. It's hard to determine, in part because it's not immediately obvious what like market or regulatory factors are leading them to do this. There's just a lot of rumors right now about exploring the technology for this purpose. But as we've talked about a lot on here, that there's a lot of security and safety that comes from the lockdown market ecosystem on iOS uh, and, and, and iPad OS devices. And I personally, while I can, and I have utilized, um, alternative app stores, uh, in my early days with iOS. And also, um, when I was an Android user, I would always install, I think it was called, uh, F store, F stop, the open source, um, uh, uh, app, uh, uh, architecture on Android to be able to easily, uh, uh, utilize open source apps from their app store. I don't think I would do the same on my iOS device. And a lot of people, um, you know, say that, uh, while there are absolutely advantages to having other app stores available, it very much opens you up to malicious actors and third party attacks. And then I would also mention, this is more or less a kind of FYI. If you were a victim, I'm not sure if that's the right word. If you had a bad butterfly keyboard from from Apple, and I've only actually touched a butterfly keyboard once. Um, what is I, a butterfly keyboard? It's the it was their new style of um, uh, of keys that uh, easily had gunk get in between them and then stop working. Uh, it was a huge problem with Macs from like 2014 to 2018, I think. 
Um, your 12 inch, uh, a MacBook, Wes, when you had the, that a MacBook had a butterfly keyboard on it. And actually, I like the feel of the butterfly keyboard. It's got a very, um, mechanical keyboard feel to it. I love a good mechanical keyboard. But if you were stuck in that, especially if, uh, you end up not getting resolution from that or you lost out time, you can claim up to $350 from Apple. I'm sorry, $395 from Apple, but you have to act fast. I think it's through the end of February. So if that was something, if you dealt with that, uh, be sure to check out this great article from The Verge from today on details on how you might be able to get a refund or, or, or cash payment from Apple. Here's uh, one, a couple I'll try to do quickly that are fantastic. Um, this is a podcast, How to Save Kids from Online Extremism. It's a conversation with Joanna Schroeder, and this is on um, – We've got you've got some box um, – Articles as well. This is from the Vox podcast today explained, which is one of my favorites. Um, an article which precedes that by quite a bit, uh, was this Washington Post article, um, from September 2019. Do you have white teenage sons? Listen up how white supremacists are recruiting boys online. And so, um, the person who's interviewed in that article, in that podcast, uh, Schroeder writes about uh, cultural and gender issues and some other things, but she ended up real, you know, a series, a Twitter, a Twitter thread became an article, became this parent guide. And so Western State Center has a parent guide, which if you are in any kind of, uh, situation to do like a parent university or any kind of parent education, in school or in any other kind of organization. It's called Confronting Conspiracy Theories and Organized Bigotry at Home, a guide for parents and caregivers. And one, of, I had a conversation today with some of my middle school boys about Andrew Tate. And we mentioned him a while back. And a lot of adults probably have no idea who this guy is, but he has had an absolutely meteoric rise on TikTok. And he is likely the most misogynistic sexist person you will ever I, I honestly have not just watched him but he's horrible and it's really unfortunate today that a ton we're not just talking about a small number a ton of teens and preteens and just folks are being influenced by him and in many cases adults may not even be aware of it and may not be having conversations about it so those are some great resources to be aware of on basically a digital citizenship front Yep, totally. Uh, let's see. Um, what well, about the good, good luck explaining a TikTok ban to young people? Do you mind doing that one? Yeah, um, uh, this is, uh, um, uh, well, I mean, the, the inherent confusion of uh, TikTok in general and a lot of these bans is that, you know, obviously adults aren't the target audience for this. It's 20-somethings and younger that are largely using TikTok, although I have to say that I really like the platform. I'm surprised saying this because I didn't even understand what it was uh, before I kind of jumped into it in late 2020 uh, during the pandemic when I had a little more time at home to fiddle with my phone. Um, and as, as Dr. Fryer and I have talked about, there's lots of places that are really interesting on TikTok. Barbecue TikTok, uh, cooking TikTok, um, home repair TikTok. Uh, all sorts of places. And also, uh, there's a growing presence of news organizations, both younger content creators that are posting on TikTok in addition to uh, uh, major news sources that are also on the platform. And um, uh, this article talks about that there's obviously all this energy around banning it, and uh, it was a big deal during the Trump administration as well. Um, but part of the issue is... Um, 
talking to younger folks that may very much like the platform um, in order to give them uh, some sense of, of, of why they may want to reconsider their, their use of, of, of the platform. And um, uh, uh, they cite as examples the uh, initial discussion by the Trump administration on either banning it or buying the platform by a U.S. company. Uh, didn't go over very well with younger people. Um, uh, arguments about data privacy concerns just don't seem to worry younger people, as the article argues. And then um, the teams that use it are very loyal to the app. And in fact, in a lot of cases, have reassigned their uh, uh, usage uh, for particular kinds of applications like search to searching on TikTok. And we talked about that uh, in 2022, that TikTok has become a major source for information for younger people and that it may not be good enough just to say, trust us there's really strong concerns here. So take that for what you will, but it certainly is very much a, um, uh, something to be thoughtful about as you're engaging with um, uh, others and talking about uh, applications like TikTok. And, and here's a TikTok connection uh, to higher ed. I don't know yet if this is going to impact school networks, receiving E-rate, et cetera, but uh, News 9, which is an Oklahoma City news channel that we would follow on December 21st, reported Oklahoma universities banned TikTok on networks following Governor Stitt's executive order. And I actually learned about this because our daughter, who is a senior at the University of Central Oklahoma, received an email from the um, Central IT. Uh, actually, it was not only saying to students, you can't access TikTok anymore on our network when you're connected to Wi-Fi, but it was also talking about organizations that have TikTok accounts because there's a large number of student organizations that are, are using TikTok. And that was going to be problematic, even in terms of like, what do they do with them now? Do they delete their stuff? Do they, you know, what do they do? So the TikTok bans are affecting college students and university faculty and staff uh, in Oklahoma. And I'm sure that's probably happening other places, too. Absolutely. Um, well, Wes, uh, it looks like we're near the top of the hour here. Uh, our hour tends to go a little more quickly as of late. Um, what is your geek of the week, sir? I just have one, and it is called the Texting Story Maker. The website is chat-animator.com. I had the joyful opportunity this morning to watch Eric Kurtz and his outstanding month, uh, Monday night. I, I watched the replay, but he has a Monday night, essentially like geeks of the week. I mean, cool websites and stuff. And so uh, Texting Storymaker um, is like an app that my wife used to use with her elementary students on their iPad. I'm trying to think of what that one was called. But anyway, create realistic fake text chat animations that simulate messaging apps. Export them for free as a video or a gift to create stories, commercials, and memes. I'm going to uh, create a media literacy activity with this and have some different scenarios that I'm going to encourage students to um, role play, essentially, through text. But I think it's a fantastic tool. It's completely free. Um, and I think it looks like a great, a great tool to use to have some good discussions. Obviously, this could be used in a lot of ways uh, because it's a, it's a tool that you can put chat into. But I can, I can see it really being a good opportunity to talk about, you know, ways that we address cyberbullying, um, things that we could, we, we could address in other contexts. It's an open container, but it looks like it's really a, a neat product um, that allows us to create something that we can then share and have conversations around. Wonderful. And then I would like to share, a, it's actually a, a Twitter thread from the NCCE Twitter 
uh, page, NCC underscore EdTech, uh, which is an organization that I'm involved in, and it is a thread about what to do with your old devices if you picked up new devices during the holiday season. And um, a lot of people let tech rot in a drawer um, or, or sit around for days, months, years. Um, and my suggestion is that there's actually a lot more you could be doing with that tech, including selling it, donating it. Um, I also make a suggestion that if you have a tech-savvy youth in your life, um, they may not want your old tech, but as a little kid, if someone had given me an old computer or something to play with, I would have absolutely loved that as a, a platform for, for, for uh, messing around. And I would also argue, too, that uh, you'd be surprised what you could do with things even like an e-ink uh, uh, Kindle uh, can provide a, a hacking opportunity that would be pretty amazing. But this isn't a show about hacking. This is the Ethics Situation Room. We're a once-a-week podcast on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and then also sometime in the middle of the night, UTC, if you happen to be joining us live from Europe. We are available wherever finer podcasts are aggregated, all the major apps. You can also go to our website, edtechsr.com, and download uh, download a tiny MP3. Uh, all of our shows are archived on Facebook and YouTube, all over the place. Plenty of opportunities to listen to us. Um, or you could join us live, where we also broadcast live over YouTube and Facebook as well. Um, stay safe, stay savvy. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you next time on the EdTech Situation Room. Good night. Good night, everybody.